Podcast. Today, my guest is Wong Elin, a lawyer and a farm animal welfare program manager at SPCA Selangor. She is also a volunteer with organizations helping the homeless. Since the pandemic, Elin started a weekly program to distribute vegan food to the homeless. Hi, Elin. Welcome to my show. Thank you for introducing me, Vedant. It's very good to be on your show. It's a real honor because I've been a fan of your podcast since the very beginning. Thank you so much. So, Elin, I'm curious to know, how did you get started with volunteering for the homeless? In 2008, I realized there is an organization called Food Not Bombs in Kuala Lumpur that distributes vegan and vegetarian food to the homeless. The idea is that there's a lot of resources in this world that's not being distributed equally or that's being wasted. So they gave up food to the homeless because they feel that food is a human right. You can deny people other things, but you can't deny people food. I volunteered with them for a few weeks and then they changed leadership and they changed location to a different part of Kuala Lumpur. And I started volunteering with different groups instead. The next group I volunteered with is called Reach Out Malaysia. And it also believes that giving food is one of the fastest way uh, of reaching out to the homeless and getting them other forms of help, like medical help or jobs, because people are not going to talk to you if you're just going to show up next to where they're sleeping and say, hey, get up, I've got a job for you, right? So we reach out to them, we give out food, we find out if they have other problems. Sometimes it's women who have run away from an abusive husband, so we find them a place in a women's shelter, we try to get them legal help. Sometimes it's an elderly person who's been thrown out by his family members and he has medical issues, so he needs to go to a hospital. So through food, we reach out to others. I volunteered with Reach Out Malaysia for many years. We also did other things on the site as we are distributing food because there were so many volunteers giving out food. I would help to clean up the streets at the same time so that people won't complain that wherever the hom- homeless are sleeping, the area is full of rubbish. So I'd get some volunteers, we'd get some tools and garbage bags and we'd clean up the area. Many of the homeless also have pets because people get lonely even if they're on the streets. So they have cats and dogs and we usually help to take their pets for neutering and vaccination or any medical help needed. So they feel very grateful because they really care about their pets. Same way we do. And after Reach Out Malaysia, one of my good friends started a movement called Kedai Jalanan KL. Kedai Jalanan means street shop. So we collect clothes, bags, toiletries, and other usable things from donors. We clean them up and we hang them on racks, just like a shop. So we set up temporary shops in places where we give up, people are giving out food to the homeless. We hang up all the clothes, just like in a shop, and the homeless can come and pick five items for free. The reason we wanted to do it shop style is because it gives the homeless a lot more dignity. You're not just throwing things in a pile on the floor for them to pick up from. 
we are not just um, treating them like, okay, all you deserve is garbage. And it's important we do this because it's also good for the environment. People have too many resources, then they end up throwing away clothes and bags and things that are in perfectly good condition, or they dump them in donation bins, and we don't know where they go to. Whereas if when we set up the street shop, we can see directly the people who are benefiting from it, and they are really grateful to have clothes and bags and things they can use. Shortly after the pandemic started, the government announced that we cannot give out food to the homeless because it causes crowding. When the homeless see the volunteers' cars and vans arriving, they get too excited, they run to us, they forget to put on their face masks, they don't socially distance, so they say, no, we're going to stop that for now. I felt that was incredibly unfair because you can't stop people from giving food to the homeless unless you have a different system in place to give food to the homeless. They're not just going to say, okay, volunteers are not coming. I'm just going to rent a room or check into a hotel and buy myself from food. They just don't have the ability to do that for themselves. So I said, if organizations can't come out, individuals must step up. So I got my friend Rajalachmi, who is a vegetarian and vegan caterer, to make a rice, fried rice, and I bought drinking water and fruits, and I started distributing them to the homeless on specific days where the soup kitchens are not operating. Once my friends heard of it, they contributed money, and some of them stepped forward to help me. And we thought it will only go on for a few weeks because of the pandemic. Now it's been going on for more than a year. That's some very good work you've done for the homeless. Thank you. We all do what we can. Why are there so many people who do not have food when there is such an abundance of food in the cities and so much food gets wasted and thrown away? That's very true. I just read in the newspapers yesterday that 45% of waste thrown out in Malaysia consists of food waste. So that means almost half the food waste in Malaysia is food waste. Part of the reason is because food is cheap in countries like Malaysia because we grow our own food, because food production is heavily subsidized by the government. And sometimes businesses don't want to give out food for free because they think that nobody will buy our food. Everybody will wait till 8 p.m. when we start throwing out the food or giving it for free. And then they'll just wait around for the free food. Then we won't be able to run our business. But thankfully, there are lots of organizations, including two called the Lost Food project and another called What a Waste in Malaysia that collect food from supermarkets and restaurants and factories and distribute them to charity homes and the poor. So part of it, part of the reason why there's so much food waste is because of poor planning. Restaurants and shops don't know how much food they'll need for a day. They'll prepare too much. At the end of the day, not enough customers buy their food. They can't give out everything to their staff. Their staff has already brought home a lot of food. They end up throwing the rest away. Households as well, because of poor planning, they might think because of the pandemic, I'm going to need more fruits and vegetables. And then they stuff their refrigerators. And then after a week, they have to throw half of it out. So a lot of it is poor planning and a system that 
sort of rewards overbuying and overproduction of food. Uh, part of the reason why there's so many homeless on the streets is also because of income inequality. In uh, countries like India, perhaps, there's just so much chronic poverty. That means someone is born to a poor family. They are likely to not be able to have access to good education. They stay poor all their lives. In Malaysia, it's pretty much the same thing. A lot of people are chronically poor or homeless because they come from poor families. They leave school too young. They can't get good jobs. So they work and save all their lives, but that's still not enough for them to buy a house. So they sleep on the streets to save on money and go to work in the mornings. That, that makes up about 50% of the homeless in Malaysia. People from other states coming to work in Kuala Lumpur, but they can't afford to rent a room, buy a place of their own. And some of it, senior citizens who work at low paying jobs all their life, maybe they work in a shop. They work all their lives, they try to save up money, but at the time they leave their jobs, they are age 60 and they still can't afford to buy a house because the prices of everything has gone up so high. That is very true because in India, I have seen lots of homeless people just on the streets with these mini tents made out of sticks with cloths covering it. Yes, but at least the authorities are not tearing down their tents. In some countries and in some states, for example, in the US, the authorities tear down their tents because they say it makes the city looks uh, dirty. In Malaysia, many of the homeless don't set up shacks or tents. They just move around. They hang around the city the whole day, like sitting in parks. And then after the shops close, they bring their mattresses or, or mats or cardboard boxes to sleep on, and then they sleep on the corridors of banks and shops. They sleep on, on the sidewalks, and when it's daytime and the shop needs to reopen, they get up and wander around the city again. Some go to work, but the older citizens, the senior citizens, do not. And I haven't seen lots of that happening in Singapore. Why? Usually countries that have a very low homeless population have very good social security systems, which means the government helps people find the help they need. Like in the US, medical bills are very expensive. So you could have a house, but because you've had an accident and you had to pay tens and thousands of dollars in uh, medical bills, you won't be able to afford your house anymore and you'll have to give up your house and the house gets sold to someone else. But in countries like Singapore, you have a good health system, you have a good job training system. So even if someone leaves school early, there might be job training or other opportunities for them. Or there might be education systems that make it compulsory for everyone to stay in school until a certain age so that they have better chances of uh, finding a job later in life. This is the case in much of Europe as well. For example, if you want to leave school early, they will try to find out your circumstances. Is it because you're poor? Are you abused? Are your parents facing problems sending you to school? If that's the case, we'll find a way to help you continue your schooling so you can at least leave with a high school diploma. So in poorer countries, this is not always possible, especially in countries where the population is very high. In Singapore, because it's a small country and the population is is smaller compared to, let's say, uh, Malaysia and India, 
it is easier for the government to monitor the situation in a country to make sure no one falls through the cracks. What can we do to help homeless people? I would say that giving food is the most basic thing people can do. But then also when you're engaging with the homeless, sometimes we ask them what they really need. When I started giving uh, food to the homeless, many of them asked for basic medication, over-the-counter medication like paracetamol because they they catch uh, fevers and colds sleeping on the street. They want mosquito repellent because insects bite them at night. They want like antiseptic cream for, for all the scratches and, and wounds they get from sleeping on the street. So we provide uh, basic over-the-counter medication as well. Sometimes just talking to them to find out their problems can make a huge difference because they're human too. They're not just objects on the street. And I would say that whenever people come out to donate food to the homeless or to give any sort of aid, please don't take pictures of them without their consent. Nobody likes to feel like they're animals in a zoo or that they're charity cases. It, it's just, uh, they're, they're not much different from the rest of us. They have their wishes, they have their need for dignity and respect and privacy. So come out, talk to them, ask them what they need. If you want to take pictures of the volunteers, take pictures of the food, or take pictures from the back where they cannot be easily, the homeless people cannot be easily identified. Some of them may be working and their bosses don't know that they are homeless. And there is stigma against the homeless. People think that because they don't have a permanent house address, they might commit a crime and run away with it and nobody can find them because they have no house address, which is a bit ridiculous because if somebody wants to run away, nobody can stop them whether or not they have a house. So for the homeless, I would say if you run a business or you have a company, see if there's any way you can hire a homeless person to, to take up a, a job that may be better paying, that might create better opportunities for them. Also, sometimes there are ways we can help them through job training or educational opportunities. If they are young people, we can say, hey, there's some courses coming up for nursing or electrical technicians and all, and it's run by the government. Would you like me to help you fill up the forms and you can try out for a new job? Very often, sometimes it's just staying with them until they they receive the help they need. Last year, we found an 81-year-old woman who had collapsed on the street. Her name was Julie. She was very old and she was very sick and she could only say a few words. She says, my name is Julie. I am 81 years old. I am from the Philippines. So she couldn't even sit up. We couldn't even feed her food. So I called for an ambulance. I accompanied her to the hospital in the ambulance. I visited her in the hospital every day until she could be discharged. I contacted the Philippine embassy because she no longer had a passport or any documents. All her stuff had been stolen, her phone, her passport, everything. I tried to get them to, to trace her identity and to try to contact her family members in the Philippines. They put her in a, an old folks home for the time being. I visited her every week and, and then I took her to the airport on the day she was to fly home to the Philippines. And... Through Facebook and through the government efforts, we managed to contact the children and they came to take her. They haven't seen her in 15 years because she lost her phone and passport. There was no way they could contact each other. The family was so grateful to have her back. 
So Julie managed to live with her family for close to a year, less than a year, I think about eight to nine months. And unfortunately, recently she passed away, but at least she was surrounded by family and the family she loves, the family she hasn't seen in more than 15 years. And I don't think any of this would have been possible if I had just let the ambulance take her away and I didn't try to visit her and get more information and contact the Philippine embassy and follow up with them. So a lot of it is to do with following up and following through. That's very nice. Yes, I'm glad she got to be with her family in the end. It's really nice that the family was really happy. Yes, they didn't abandon her. They knew she came to Malaysia for work. And then after that, they, she just went out of contact and they had no way of finding out where she is. I'm very glad they were reunited too, even though it wasn't for a very long time. Can you tell me more about your role at SPCA Selangor? Oh, okay. That's a good one. I started volunteering with SPCA in 1996. And then in 2019, I took on the role of Farm Animal Welfare Program Manager, which is a role I created myself. I brought in international grants to the SPCA so that we could do work to advocate for farm animals because no one else in Malaysia was doing it yet. So as a farm animal welfare program manager, I do campaigns and I reach out to companies and farms and the government to try to get them to agree to switch to cage-free eggs and higher animal welfare standards in Malaysia. As incomes rise, when people are richer, people tend to eat more meat. So there's a lot of fast food restaurants in Malaysia and all. We can't turn the whole world vegan overnight, but we can try to improve the lives of animals that are already in the farm system so they don't suffer so much. Because if we eat them, use them, or profit from them, we owe them a better life. So at the SPCA, I work with companies, but then we also have an education unit. So the education officers and I work on programs so we can go out to companies and to members of the public and to children in schools and students in universities to talk about veganism and to talk about farm animal welfare. That's very interesting. Animals are really important and even I think we should save them. Yes, it's very important that we do what we can for farm animals. Whether you're a vegetarian or vegan or meat eater, I think we all can agree on the same thing, that farm animals deserve a better life. They don't deserve to suffer. Yeah, they don't deserve to suffer at all. Correct. You are doing so many things now. What did you want to be as a child? It's funny because when I was five, I wanted to be a witch because I read a lot of books about witches and, and I thought they always had so many cool animals around them. They have black cats and, and bats and owls and snakes and spiders. And I liked all those animals. I wanted to be a witch when I was about five or six years old. But then even from the very beginning, I said, when I grow up, I want to do three things help people, because I was too young to know the word community, yet I say help people, help animals, and help the environment. 
So I'm doing all that now. I'm doing what I can for the environment, for animals and for the community. And later on, when I was a bit older, I thought I would like to be a vet because I loved animals so much. But I think I was quite a lazy student at school. I didn't want to challenge myself too much. I didn't want to take on the subject of additional mathematics because I felt it was too difficult and challenging. But when I went into A-levels and I started learning about law, I knew that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I love studying law. It was the happiest four years of my life. I love debating and mooting. I love arguments. And so I became a lawyer. I worked in human rights for some time as well, but I think I really enjoyed the ability to argue critically that, that we learn, we train uh, to, to do as lawyers. Very few people get to do what they wanted to be when they were a child. It's really nice how you got to. Yeah, I, I make it a point every day. Am I hitting that goal every week? Am I helping animals? Am I helping the environment? And am I helping other people, either as a full-time job or as a volunteer? And I think that's a goal most of us can set for ourselves, whatever jobs we do in life. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you. It's such a privilege and an honor. I wish you all the very best for your show as well, Vida. Thank you. This is really nice. I love animals. I love animals too. And I know you love animals too. So yeah, we are, we are on the same page on this. Yeah. Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedant, to get updates on my upcoming episodes. To listen at leisure on your phone and get notified about future episodes, subscribe by searching for Curious Vedant wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also listen to my show on CuriousVedant.com. Thank you for listening to Curious Vedant. And don't forget to rate and leave comments.